Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. In Psalm 5.3, the writer of the psalm talks of speaking to the Lord and then looking for the answer throughout the day. And really, this is a testament of how we as believers should look towards our prayer life. And how we should really just know that once we've prayed that God is going to make something happen because as he tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 28, he is working together for good of those who love him to those who are called according to his good name. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me and let's look at verses 1 through 3. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Do you feel like that sometimes? Do you feel like all you can do sometimes is just go to the Lord and... Heed the sound of my cry for help. David says, hey, listen, I'm I'm not even giving you words, Lord. I'm just giving you sounds that are coming deep down from my anguish. My King and my God. For to you I pray. Verse 3. In the morning, O Lord, You will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to You. And I will eagerly watch. It seems weird that as we speak of prayer, our attention many times keeps on being brought back to Scripture. We keep on being drawn towards knowing Scripture, reading Scripture, and in reality, praying Scripture back to God. And again, if we're really just paying attention, it's much like a relationship. We need to know what people are telling us before we can respond back to them, right? And that's kind of what's taking place in our own relationship with Jesus. We're reading His Word. We're reading His actions that He comments that He tells us to take. And then we're praying them back to Him. Lord, I've heard, I've I've seen, and I will obey and listen. But Lord, You also tell me this, and I would like that to take place in my life. That is our prayer, prayer life. That is our relationship cycle with Him. My kids have... One of their favorite things is reminding me, Dad, you promised. (laughs) You have that? 
Sometimes I try to force it on things that I know I didn't promise, that I was like, oh, maybe, right? Yeah, maybe. And then they'll be like, Dad, you promised. And I'm like, no, no, I said maybe. But when I promise, they know that Dad likes to keep his word on his promises. Why? Because in that moment, they know that I'm going to try my hardest to fulfill my word to them. I'll go out of my way to keep my promises. I'll go out of my way to do what I said I would do and I will accomplish it. I'll go out of my way to keep my word. But sometimes it's not that I need a reminder. I need the encouragement that they're depending on my word. I needed them to put to the forefront of my thinking what I had said. It was not that I had forgotten. I didn't just know if they wanted to cash in on what I had promised. Guys, if you are good today, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to have, we're going to have ice cream. Well, sometimes they want something else so they could care less about the ice cream. They want to come home and they want to have something different. Right? So it's not that the promise isn't going to be fulfilled. It's just that they're cashing in on something different or they want something different. So for believers, we're not told to name it, claim it, because that's not what God is about. He's not a genie that we rub the right way and all of a sudden, poof, right? But we're told to know it and pray it. Know His promises, know His truths, know His Scripture, and then pray for it. David Nichols once said, God's promises are like the stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. It's in our darkest moments when our faith is a drop in the bucket, in the never-ending seas of worries and doubts and fear that the Lord's promises stand as a pillar an anchor. It was after the disappointment and pain and letdowns of Friday's crucifixion that Sunday's miracle came true. Amen? Amen. We see something similar take place in the book of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, we see a man coming to the Lord totally broken. He's on his last. And he falls to his knees weeping to the Lord. He's crying. And he says, look at it with me, verse 24. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. This guy's request. It's not shocking to us, is it? Because how many times do we feel the exact same way? 
This is a paradox of a, of a statement. Yeah, I believe. Help my unbelief. You're saying I have something, but I don't have something, so help me with that something that I say that I have that I don't have right now. How can this man say he believes and at the same time looks at Jesus and says, Lord, help me to overcome what I don't have? And so many times in our own life, when we're faced with a great decision, when there's something looming in the background, when there's an uncertainty in our life, we get filled with doubt and worry and fear. In the full context of this man's prayer, the, the full context of this man coming up to Jesus makes a lot more sense when we look at what's taking place with this statement. Lord, I believe, but help me. Because I don't believe. Jesus had just returned from the, from the Mount of Transfiguration. Where He took... John and James and Paul, uh, Peter, and, and he was on the mountain and, and he completely showed him his glory. He showed them who he'll come back as, that reigning, conquering, victorious Jesus, the, the Shekinah glory of Jesus shown to them. And Peter, of course, I, we all love Peter. He says, Jesus, this is great. Let's make some booths. Let's, let's worship here. That would be fantastic. Jesus, calm down, Peter. It was revealed to you just to take in and experience God. Not to make something religious. And so they come down off that mountaintop. James, John, and Peter, I bet they're just totally, whoa! Can't wait to tell the guys what they just saw, right? And they come down and there's a crowd gathered around the rest of the disciples. And the rest of the disciples, they're in a moment of, oh my gosh. Why? Because as you read the text, it tells us that they had just tried to exercise a demon out of a little boy. And even though it had worked a thousand times before when Jesus had sent them out in pairs, they come to this little boy and nothing is happening. They try to cast out the demon and nothing happens. They try to cast out the demon and nothing happens. They try it again, nothing's happening. Each of them are trying their best and it is resulting in nothing. And so they're arguing over this. The people are kind of looking at them like they're frauds. They're looking at them like, well, maybe this Jesus isn't who he's all caught up to be. So you go from these three disciples experiencing the Shekinah, the excitement of Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, coming off of the mountain, and the other, the other nine are in the valley. They're in a pit. They're low. Because they feel like they have nothing left to give. If we can't do what we've done a million times before. If God's not listening to us now in front of this huge crowd of people, then where are we at? 
So this man's statement of, I believe, help my own belief, is kind of a statement given to the disciples as well. Jesus comes up to them, verse 19, and he's like, hey guys, what's, what's going on here? And they say, well, Jesus, you know, we've, we've tried. We did it just like before, but it's just, this demon's not listening to us. The little boy's not getting better. We don't know what we're supposed to do. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring him to me. And the boy was brought to Jesus. In verse 20 it says, They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, when who saw him? When the Spirit laid eyes on Jesus. Immediately the Spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And the dad explains to Jesus, this is what happens. For so many years in my son's life, this is what happens. And many times he throws him into the burning fire. And many times he, he hurts my son and, and I'm, I'm helpless to help him, Jesus. Can you do something? Verse 22. But if you can do anything, take pity and help us. You got to understand where this dad is coming from. He's broken. For those of you dads out there, and you moms can relate, of course. But it just really tugs at the heartstrings of a dad, I think. Because dad's supposed to be the hero. Dad's supposed to be the Mr. Fix-It. Dad's supposed to be the one to put things back together when they're broken. Dad's supposed to be the rescuer. Dad's supposed to be the strong guy, right? Has little kids dangling from his arm. My dad can beat up your dad. Oh yeah, my dad, he could bench press more than your dad. That's the conversations that kids have when it comes to dad. And dad can't fix this. Dad's in brokenness. Dad comes to Jesus. Dad goes to Jesus' disciples because they can't find Jesus. They don't know where Jesus is. Jesus is on the mountain. So he comes to the disciples and he says, you guys, please, you're in the presence of Jesus. Please fix this. And he's got this hope inside of him, right? Because he's, he's heard that these guys have gone around casting out demons and doing miracles in Jesus' name. And they come up and they cast out the demon and nothing happens. They cast out the demon and nothing happens. And now he feels broken. That hope that he had is gone. So it makes sense when he sees Jesus and Jesus says, hey, bring him to me. He looks at Jesus and says, hey, if... If you can do anything. Don't sometimes we do that to Jesus in our prayer life? It's like our last thing 
that we do? Jesus, I trust you with my eternal life because that's future, right? That's when I'm dead. So if you mess up with that, I'm already dead, so it's not going to hurt me. But right here and right now, Lord, I'll handle it until I totally mess things up and then I'll hand it up to you if you can do something. Or we get into a big old mess and we make ourselves a big old mess because let's just admit it, most of the time, it's our mistakes. It's our failed attempts to try to fix things that make things worse. Lord, if you can help. Lord, if you could do anything. What does Jesus respond? Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can. If you can. I wonder how many times in our prayer life if Jesus was standing right in front of us, he would have to say that to us. Right? How many times would Jesus have to look at us as we're praying these ridiculous prayers like, Lord, I'm missing a couple bucks on my bills. Can you do something about this? Can I? Right? Lord, do you think you can? Lord, can you? Lord, help me. Can I? If you can, all things are possible to him, say it with me, who believes. And immediately the boy's father, in his weakness, in his loss of hope, in his lowest point, I can't help my son, Lord. Please do anything if you have anything in you. What does verse 24 says the father answered? Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I believe, but, but help me because I don't believe. Jesus immediately spoke to the unclean spirit, to the demon-possessed boy. And the demon left immediately. As we read later, Jesus' disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, hey Jesus, what happened to us? What, how come before we could do all these different things, we could do miracles, we could cast out demons, but we come to this boy and we speak and, we, and nothing, Lord. And then we did it again and nothing. And then we did it again and nothing. And Lord, what was going on? And Jesus answers them in verse 29. Take a look with me. And He says to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and by fasting. The dominant point in this Is faith and doubt. 
Jesus' initial response to hearing the boy's condition and the expression of the people around him is the disappointment and the lack of faith, right? What does he come down? You perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Why don't you guys have faith? The boy's father initially seems to display a lack of faith as well, right? What does he say? Lord, I have faith, but I don't have faith. Help my unbelief. He asked Jesus to do something, if you can, Jesus. Most Christians can identify with this man. We trust Jesus for eternal life, like I said. But we're not as bold in the present. This is an acknowledgement of our inadequacy that that allows God to work in our lives still. Sometimes we're faced with something that seems to overpower our faith, don't we? we? We're faced with something that seems monumental. We don't seem to have enough faith to follow Him in that moment. We get scared. It's overarching. A new job. A, 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 a painful relationship. A boss that, man, whew. You'd make seeming like de- getting demon-possessed is better. And we don't seem to have enough faith to follow Him in the moment. And that's what this man is seeing in this That's what the disciples are experiencing in this. They have faith. They have faith in the one true God. They have faith in Jesus Christ. They have faith to get them eternal life in heaven. They have faith in Jesus, but they're not following Him faithfully. They've fallen off course. They're shaken. They're scared. And it's not that Jesus can't work with your faith. He just wants you to place what little faith you have into Him. Because that's the promise of Romans 8.28. He's working together for the good of those that love Him. He's working all things. All your mistakes. All your failures. All the things that the world tries to throw at you. All the things that Satan puts in your way, he's working those together for the good. Now, maybe it's not the good that you want. Maybe it's not the result that you want, but it's the ultimate good that brings glory to the name of the Father, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the object of your faith, and he's bigger than your little faith. Faith in Jesus is the prerequisite here. Lord, I have faith. I have faith in You. But I don't have faith to overcome this. You see, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And He takes care of the rest. Christ said, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, get up and move into the ocean. Matthew 17.20, right? 
and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, Jesus isn't telling us to go around and speak to the Himalayas, okay? This is an illustration that he was talking about. In fact, as Jesus was teaching that to his disciples, he was looking at Jerusalem, the holy city, and he's talking about the holy things in our life that we need to overcome, the the obstacles in life. And he's saying there is no obstacle when it comes to Jesus Christ. And you can have the tiniest faith in the world. And as long as it's aimed at Jesus, nothing will be impossible for you. Let me ask you, do you think the disciples were full of faith when the women came back saying, hey, guess what? Jesus is resurrected. Do you think they did? No. What did they say? Yeah, right. Crazy woman. You saw the gardener. Get your eyes checked. They got LASIK now. Right? No, they didn't believe. In fact, what did Thomas say when even his, his brothers came to him, right? The rest of the disciples came and they were like, hey, guess what? We saw the resurrection of Jesus too. The ladies were right. It was awesome. What did he say? Unless I put my hand in his side and touch his nail-scarred hands, I will not believe. But did that stop Jesus? Did the lack of faith of Thomas stop Jesus? Did because the disciples were depressed and down and hid themselves, did that stop Jesus from resurrecting from the dead? No. And is that going to stop him from resurrecting you? No. And will that stop him from resurrecting the tiny little faith that you have at this moment? No. Do you have faith in the promises of God? Do you believe that God has storehouses waiting for you? Then cash in by knowing His promises and asking in prayer. Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Galatians 3, 5 through 9. It says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed by you. So then, those who are in faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Verse 5, does God work miracles in people's lives because they have the law? That's basically what it's saying. Does having a Bible give you miracles? Does having a Bible give you strength? 
Does having a Bible do anything if you don't open it, don't read it, don't believe it, don't digest it? No. It's useless to you if it just sits on the shelf gaining dust. If you have the Scriptures, if you're not reading them, if you're not believing them, if you're not putting them into action, into practice, Paul says then it's useless to you. The law did nothing for Israel just sitting in the scrolls. But when they unrolled them, when they saw their truths and they lived them out and believed them, the promises that were contained in them came to life. When He said, if you will obey Me and live for Me, if you will be the nation that I have chosen and I will be your one true God, then you will be blessed and you will be My nation and the land will be flowing of milk and honey. When they unrolled that and they made it true for their life, you know what happened? The promises that were contained inside of that Scripture came true in their life. The promises came to life. Miracles happened because God was on the move. Paul moves on by reminding us of Abraham's example of hearing the promises and believing them in verses 6 and 7. Abraham believed that what God said was true. That what God let him know would be done. That God was not a liar. And so Abraham applied that to his life. He believed it. His very name means Father of Nations. And Abraham believed that promise that God had given him. That God had say, said way back in Genesis 12, and then reinstated in Genesis 14, and then said once again in Genesis 22, I will bless the nations because of you in you, in your son Isaac. Abraham said, okay, God. You see, Abraham believed all that God had said. He knew the promises of God. And because of that, he wasn't afraid of offering his son when God said, hey, I want you to go offer your son to me on the altar. That's what Paul is speaking of here. He knew that God could do anything. Oh, God wants my son? All right, I'll give him my son. Because God said that through this son, I'm going to bless the nations. Hebrews 11, 17-19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. God said, hey, listen, I want you to go do this. Abraham said, okay. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which He also received Him back as a type. Abraham said, okay God, I'll hold nothing back from you because I believe in your promise. I believe that you said I will have descendants through this child and even though you're saying I want you to go kill this child, I'll believe you. I stand on that promise because you're God and you don't lie. 
And he had faith in what God said. Church, the question is, do you know God's promises? And are you believing God's promises and are you standing on God's promises for your life? Are you holding that mustard seed of faith? Because that's all it takes. It takes a mustard seed of faith to believe. But you got to aim it towards Jesus. You got to believe what God says. You got to believe what He tells you. You got to start studying the Word of God. And you got to hold on to those promises. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. God doesn't go back on His promises because God longs to hear your voice. So call out in the name of Jesus. Call out, Lord, I'm struggling right now. Help my unbelief. Lord, You tell me in Your Word this right here and I need that to come true in my life. I believe in Jesus. Lord, I'm weak right now. That's what the man said. The man was honest. Jesus, I believe in You. Now help my unbelief in this. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus and His promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For as many are His promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. What that's saying is, listen, in God, the promises of God are yes. They're true. They'll happen. They're going to be given freely. But Jesus is our Amen. What does that mean? It means He is our agreement. When you say Amen, it's not a special ending to a prayer, by the way. You're saying, God, I agree with everything here that I have just said. Amen. My heart and my mind are one and united. And Lord, it lets me know that whatever You're going to do, I'm going to be okay with. Because it's going to bring You glory. And right here in 2 Corinthians, in verse 20, it tells us that God says yes, and Jesus is the Amen. He's the agreement with it. Brothers and sisters, the promises are yours. God says yes. And Jesus is the Amen. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He's that fulfillment to make you sons and daughters of the Most High God. He's the fulfillment of freedom. He's the fulfillment of peace. And you know what? What doesn't happen in here and now on this earth is going to happen for all eternity. The peace that He said He's going to bring, it'll happen for a millennia and then beyond. He'll restore the nations just as He promised. If it doesn't happen in our lifetime, it'll happen in the thousand years. Amen? Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He's that final agreement. The Amen.
God has a lot of promises for us. He promises not to bring you earthly wretches, but heavenly splendor. He promises not to bring you an abundance of property, but it will bring you an abundance of faith. He promises not to make you popular before men, but He says, I'll declare your name before the throne of God. He promises not that you'll never be sick or unhealthy, but He says you'll never perish, but have everlasting life. That doesn't mean you're going to become the smartest person in the world. But He does say that He's going to give you wisdom and understanding when you ask it. He doesn't say that you'll never struggle. But He says that you'll never be alone in the struggle of life. He doesn't say you'll never be left alone and lonely in earth but He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. Church, you might feel like today is Friday's dumps like the disciples. You might feel like the rest of the disciples when the other guys were coming down all excited because they just saw Jesus shining. The other guys were down in the dumps because something that was so simple before wasn't working. You might feel like you're in a low place, but brothers and sisters, the promises of Sunday's resurrection are coming. Amen? Amen. The Lord's promises are for His people to receive in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment and the fulfiller of every one of God's promises. And they're in here for us to search out and believe. Having the promise in God's Word, it doesn't help, it, help you in any way if you're not reading it, if you're not knowing them, if you're not asking for them. Stand on His promises. Know that God keeps His Word because His Word is Jesus. Pray the promises of God. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.